It's so, so good to see you here today, and thank you for coming. Aren't we glad that we serve a holy God today? What a great and awesome God we serve. I want you to think about a moment in your life when you had to face the music. Some of you immediately probably went to your parent, and you thought about that time when your parent looked at you in the eye and said, when we get home, you're getting a spanking. And if you had a parent like mine, my dad, if he said it, it was going to happen. And I, whenever I think about a moment when I had to face the music, that was certainly one of them. And I talked to you a little bit about it. My dad kept his promising promises with that. It's no fun anticipating the moment when you have to face the music. And we, we know something painful is on the horizon or something hard is on the horizon. When you know it's coming, that, that dread wants to build up in you. And it's tough. And when it does come right down to the very moment when you're about to face it and when it starts happening, it's not very pleasant. Whether it's a medical procedure or or a tough meeting that you have to be in or an intimate judgment coming against you or an anticipated break in a relationship, it is not fun to face the music, is it? It's difficult. That expression, facing the music, actually is an American expression. And it comes from the military. It comes from a ceremony of drumming somebody out, a a disgraced soldier out. And the Revolutionary War, I believe, is when it started. I know it happened in the Civil War. And the ritual called only for drums to accompany the dishonored as he was stripped of his rank and his colors in front of his assembled unit. For cavalrymen, the humiliation was enhanced by having the offender sit backwards on his horse so that while he was leaving, after losing his rank, after being being court-martialed, while he was leaving, he had to see as well as hear the drums playing, and he was forced to face the music. That's where that expression comes from. But we all know that it's a difficult thing when we know that we something hard is about to happen to us. This is the fourth week in our series that we have called The Choice. Where in the first week we saw way back in Genesis chapter 3 when the very first human beings rebelled against God. That God had options at that moment as to what he would do with human beings. When human beings decided that they were no longer willing to listen to God's commands and they decided that they would sin against God, at that moment, God had options as to what he could do. And and we did say that God certainly had the option to totally walk away from humanity and just have nothing more to do with us and let us take let nature take its course. And if that had happened, you and I wouldn't be sitting here today instead, though. We see the choice that God set in motion. He made a choice back then. And a plan was set in place that would eventually put his very son on the cross of Calvary. God told Satan that day that one day he, Satan, would strike the heel of Jesus. But that Jesus would one day crush his head. And in that Genesis chapter 3 passage, we see the cross. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Another passage that we've been considering in this series is Ephesians chapter 1 verses 4 and 5 which tells us this. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. 
In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. So before the world was ever created, God knew that the human beings that he would create would rebel. Before he ever made a human being, he knew that that day was coming. And it was all the way back then, actually, that Jesus, uh, that God the Father invented or brought to life a plan that would put his son on a cross in order to save people. He chose the cross. He chose us. And I can never lose my sense of wonder at a God like that who all the way back there made a decision. The hardest decision, I say, that God could have made that day. He made the decision to sacrifice his son because although we had broken the father-child relationship when people rebelled from God, that was ruined and destroyed by sin. God wanted to provide a way where eventually through Jesus Christ going to a cross, we could be adopted and become his children just as if we had never sinned before. I don't even know how to wrap my mind around a God making a choice like that, knowing what it would take for Jesus to to go through in order for us to know him. He we see him making this choice to set in motion this plan. And he told Satan that this was going to happen there in Genesis chapter three. And what a powerful thing that God made this. Last week, we took some time to look at the drive of the of this choice that he made. And we've been looking at stories in, in the uh, Old Testament. And last week, we looked at some prophecies about Jesus Christ, prophecies that were written and given by the prophet Isaiah some 700 years before Jesus ever walked on the face of this earth. Hundreds of years after the prophecies were given, Jesus was born in the exact way that God predicted it would happen. And Jesus lived his life and he was the exact person that God said in the prophecies that Jesus would be. Why? Because God made up his mind that this was going to happen and it would have to happen this way in order for you and I to have a chance of having a relationship with him. It was all God's plan, all God's choice. So let's look at a telling moment in the ministry of Jesus. We're fast forwarding now and Jesus is on the earth and actually we're coming to the the ending part of his ministry. And let's look together at a telling moment in his ministry of Jesus where God's choice played the key role into what dictated what Jesus would do. The choice that Jesus would make in order to to stay committed to the choice that his father made way back in Genesis 3. In John chapter 11, verses 1 through 16, there's a familiar story that we're going to look at today. The word of God says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to the Lord Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, 
a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back. And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they will see by the world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. And after he has said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. So you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. I know that maybe some of you may be recalling that not very long ago, I preached from this very passage as we looked at this incredible miracle that Jesus performed in raising his friend from the dead. What I'm hoping for today is for us to note in this incident in Jesus' life and ministry how Jesus confirmed his heavenly father's choice by deliberately setting the religious leaders into action in a plan to have him killed. Jesus did things intentionally in order to set that in motion, in order to cause the leaders of that day to want him to die. There had been confrontations for Jesus and his disciples in Jerusalem and the surrounding area. And a lot of people at this point in Jesus' ministry were more than a little bit unhappy with Jesus. At least two times are recorded in the book of John alone, where the people in that area tried to seize Jesus and take his life from him. Once they were going to throw him off of a cliff to kill him. And in, that's in John chapter 7, verse 30. And then if you go to John 8, 59, you will see where they literally had stones in their hands ready to stone him. A traditional way of, of killing someone. And there were several who were ready to do so. After the Jews tried to stone him, Jesus and his disciples had withdrawn from that region. But then word comes to Jesus and the disciples that Lazarus was very sick. When I preached last time about this uh, in the past, I pointed out that upon getting the news that Lazarus was in big trouble, Jesus surprised everyone because he didn't immediately pick up and rush to his good friend's aid. He didn't leave. He stayed put for a couple of days. Now, I will say that Jesus had already demonstrated his power to heal somebody from long distance. He spoke a word of healing in John chapter 4, verses 47 through 52. And he healed somebody without ever walking up to them, without ever touching them. Because we do know that he is the son of God and he has that ability. He speaks a word and healing happens. And certainly he had demonstrated his ability to do that. And yet he did not speak one word of healing for his dear friend who he had learned was dying. Instead, he stays put for two days. Now, mathematics indicate that Jesus would not, by any ordinary means, have been able to get to Lazarus before he died anyway. Looking at the timeline in the narrative of this story, it isn't too difficult to deduce that most likely this man, Lazarus, died shortly after the messenger left to go find Jesus. Probably as the messenger was on his way to Jesus. It was a full day's journey. 
between where Lazarus was and where uh, Jesus was. And if Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days when Jesus did arrive, with travel time added in uh, and Jesus waiting those two days, Lazarus had to have died the day that the servant left to come and tell him. Now, you may recall that I did tell you that in this era, this time, uh, uh, this, this time of, of Jesus walking the face of the earth, Jews held a common belief that once somebody passed away, their soul would remain in their body for three days. But after three days, the soul would leave. I am not sure where that belief came or came from. I don't know why they had that belief. Perhaps there was somebody who appeared to them to be dead and 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 they laid them out, if you will, and and somehow resuscitated and actually wasn't dead. That may be what have happened. But they had a strong belief that after three days, no matter what, the soul was gone. And then there was no way for somebody to be resuscitated. They believed that they were, in fact, dead. And perhaps part of what Jesus did was to assure that there was no one who could make a speculation. Well, Lazarus' soul had not left his body. He had been dead four days. And that's what one of the sisters pointed out. He's been in there four days. Meaning, Jesus, it's too late. It's too late. He's gone. He's dead. And that was that was perhaps... One of the reasons why Jesus chose to stay as he did. But I want to tell you something. God's choice plays a big part in what Jesus did here. You see, Jesus made a large choice of his own. And I need to say this to you. I am convinced that throughout his ministry here on earth, that Jesus never lost what God had given him a free will to do what he wanted to do. I I can see evidence throughout the lifetime of Jesus that Jesus had options as to what he would do. If he did not have his own free will, there would have been no point in Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. But the truth is, Jesus was tempted. And temptation was a very real part of who Jesus was. It's just that he didn't sin. What a wonderful miracle it is. Amen. And, and I just love the fact that when Jesus is standing later uh, on in front of Pilate and Pilate is astounded at Jesus because Jesus is being questioned and Pilate is, is, is there's accusations flying his way. And Pilate is taken back by Jesus lack of responses. And finally, Pilate, in exasperation, looks at Jesus and say, don't basically this is can do a paraphrase. Don't you know who I am? Don't you understand? I have your life in my hand. I give the word and you die. I give the word and you live. Now talk to me. And Jesus looks this man dead in the eye and says, sorry, Pilate, you don't have the authority to take my life. Nobody does. The only one who takes my life or I give my life away. Nobody takes it from me. And so Jesus had a an opportunity to make his own choices. And that is why when he prayed in the garden, Lord, if it's possible for this cup to pass from me, I'd rather not go through what I'm about to go through. But I love what he prays. He says, instead, Lord, whatever you will, that's what I want to do. It shows me that Jesus had options and he had he had choices that he deliberately made because of his commitment to the choice that God made to save humanity. From our sins way back there revealed in Genesis chapter 3. Here's some things I want to talk to you about concerning the choice of Jesus. 
And how it relates to that choice that God made, the choices that he made, this choice to go to his friend in Judea and raise him from the dead. I would suggest to you first that this choice of Jesus was calculated. Verses 1 through 4 speak again about the circumstances there, and you can read them as they come up on the screen for you. You see, to me, it isn't a stretch to see how Jesus already knew that his friend's illness was all part of God's plan and God's will and part of the choice that God had made so many years in the past. It's an indication to me from what he says in verse four when he says this is not going to end in his death. He didn't say he wouldn't die. He just says it's not going to stay there. He, 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 he says, in fact, what this is about is to glorify God, my father, and to glorify me as the son of God. And he speaks about that in here. And I see Jesus calculating out in his mind the four-day period so it would leave no room for misinformed belief that the soul had remained in Lazarus and simply been resuscitated. No, in their minds, Lazarus was, in fact, dead. And right after he raises Lazarus, word gets to the Pharisees and they immediately confirmed convened a meeting of the Sanhedrin. And they wanted to discuss among themselves, what are we going to do about Jesus? So as soon as he raises Lazarus from the dead, and I believe he had calculated this all out. I believe he knew that immediately the Pharisees and religious leaders would come together and say, look, we got to do something here. And they convened this special uh, meeting of the Sanhedrin. And it is in that meeting where they come to the conclusion together that if Jesus would die, it would be for the benefit of the Israelites. In fact, they said that if he is allowed to live, we're going to lose our entire nation to the Romans. It's going to be so much trouble that we're, we're going to lose our way of, of, of worshiping and we're going to lose our whole nation. And so they came to the belief that Jesus had to die in that meeting. That's where you read the conversation that they had. And I believe Jesus understood that that meeting was going to take place because he chose to go to that region and the timing that he went so that that I submit all of this was calculated, reasoned out by Jesus, that he had made up his mind that he was going to obey what God would have him to do and he would follow the will of God and he would face the music. I'm so glad that Jesus was willing to think this all out. And because of you and because of me, I believe that Jesus in his mind understood that you and I down thousands of years later, down the road in time, that Jesus knew that we didn't need him to be popular and we didn't need a popular God there. What we needed was a savior. Amen. And I believe he understood that what he would do would situate him in a place where the cross would become inevitable for him. And I don't know if Jesus had decided not to go or if Jesus had decided to speak a word of healing from a distance. I don't know what the circumstances would have been, but I know this. I believe Jesus planned everything that he did all out because he wanted to glorify his father and he wanted to honor the choice and commitment of that choice made all the way back before the creation of the world. I would suggest to you also that the choice of Jesus was courageous. I'm looking at verses 7 through 9 and 
And, and, and I, I look at this when he says to his disciples, let's go to Judea. And they point out to him, I'm Jesus. Last time we were in that region, they had stones in their hands and they were trying to kill you. And I love the answer that Jesus gives to them. At first, I didn't understand this as I was looking at it. I had trouble understanding why is Jesus talking about daylight. And you see his answer when he talks about walking in the light and and people stumbling in the dark. Jesus was telling them, I'm the light and I'm going to protect you. You are in my hands. You walk with me and you guys have nothing to worry about. I see the power of that courage of Jesus. And so convinced were the disciples that Jesus would die that the last verse we read to you, verse 16, Thomas just looked at the other men and said, let's go die with him because he's going to die. They're going to get him this time. Now, it obviously shocked and alarmed the disciples when Jesus said, let's go. But I submit to you that there is the drive of the of the choice that his father had made thousands of years before, before the creation of the world. And when the disciples are telling him, look, they're going to kill you. Jesus knew. And I think he had such great courage when he said, I'm going to make this this plan get set in motion. I'm going to spring my own trap. I'm going to cause these events to unfold because it is my father's will. Wouldn't it have been so much easier for Jesus to just speak a word of healing for Lazarus? If that was even an option by the time the servant got to him. Wouldn't it make sense that Jesus with all of his ability and power. Could have raised Lazarus from his grave from a distance. Listen. God doesn't have to just walk up to us and touch us to heal us. He's shown that over and over again. He can. He can do it any way he wants. And he could have. He could have just said, you know what? Lazarus is going to raise out of his grave. Just go to the graveside, push that stone away, and and you watch. He'll walk out. He could have done that, but he didn't. And I believe it's all tied to the courage that Jesus had to say, I'm the only one who can be the savior of these people. They don't need, listen, they don't even need a healer as much as they need a savior. Listen to me. We don't need even one who raises the dead as much as we need one who who saves our souls. Jesus understood that although it was the hardest thing that he could ever do, what we needed more than we needed anything else was someone who was holy enough and great enough to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Fast forward to a day that you and I will one day witness if you are a believer. And Jesus is going to stand before multitudes of redeemed people. And there's going to be a scroll in heaven that nobody will have the power or the worthiness to open. So much so that the apostle John cried when he saw it. He wept. But then he was comforted by the fact that the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world was able to open that scroll because he alone was worthy and he alone was able to be our savior. You don't need a healer as much as you need a savior. Either do I. And Jesus made this courageous, this amazing decision. I'm going to go and I'm going to place myself in harm's way. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm resolute. And even my best friends will not convince me to stay away. And so right after Jesus heals or or raises Lazarus, the, the trap, if you will, is sprung. 
And I'm convinced that Jesus had in his mind an absolute picture of what was going to happen. And he deliberately went there. He chose to face the music. And I praise the Lord for that. He exercised courage to endure a cross because he chose us. And friends, listen to me. I've said this to you a little earlier. Jesus is gentle and he's kind and he's merciful, but he is in no way soft or weak. Amen. He is a great savior. And what courage. One of the reasons why Jesus is my hero is because of his courage. He courageously faced down every temptation that Satan hurled his way. He faced down legions of demons, stood up to every sickness, every physical threat, even death. He stood up to the Pharisees and the leaders of that day. And he chose with every interaction his father's plan instead of his own will. And please don't make the mistake of thinking that it was easy or for Jesus than it would have been for us. It wasn't because Jesus was a human being as well as God. It didn't make it easy for him. It didn't make it simple. What a wonderful thing that he he bravely prayed to the Lord on the night he was arrested. Your will, not mine. I love the courage of Jesus. Finally, I would suggest to you that the choice of Jesus was committed It was a committed choice. And you can read here again. The disciples have tried very hard to convince him not to go. In verses 11 through 15, Jesus points out to them that he's going. And he was committed to that. I'll tell you that throughout his life here on earth, Jesus never deviated from doing what God, his father, wanted him to do. He knew the plan. He knew the choice before he ever left heaven to come here, and he was up for it. The main feature of his life was this. Reveal to people who God is, and then bring glory to my God, my Father, by doing his will. Repeatedly, Jesus in his ministry told them that, look, I speak the words that my Father gives me, and I do the things that my Father tells me to do. That's who he was. And he even said that his brothers and his sisters, his real brothers and sisters and his mother were really people who did the will of the father. Those were the ones who belonged to Jesus. Jesus did what he did because he was committed to doing what his heavenly father wanted him to do. And he insisted on it. It was what he how he lived out his life. Joe, could you come to the keys and play something for me? I just want to suggest to you today that I, I am convinced that Jesus could have opted out. He said so. When he faced um, Pilate and Pilate was so amazed, he also said to Pilate, listen, Pilate, if I wanted to, I could call on my angels, my real kingdom. And there'd be 10,000 angels here fighting for me. If I didn't want to go to the cross, I wouldn't have to go. You see, he's the king of glory. And he commands the legions of the angels. Jesus did this because he was a a savior who was committed to you and me. He chose you. He chose me. He chose us over comfort. He chose us over popularity. He chose us over all of the things that we would pretty quickly choose over people. He chose us in spite of how we are. And I'm not trying to be unkind, 
But um, I shake my head that Jesus thought that people were worth saving. We're a mess, aren't we? We're not very nice to him. I'm not trying to be unkind. We're not very good to him, are we? My goodness. Even after we're redeemed, we have a hard time just loving him the way we should. We have a hard time saying thank you. In fact, there are a whole lot of Christians that have crybaby disease. Things aren't going my way. I'm mad at you, God. You messed things up. You could have prevented that. Why aren't I driving a Lincoln Continental? It's just silly how we treat the Lord. It's kind of a disgrace, honestly. After all that he has done, after him making the choice. And I just have to wonder, when I see the things that people say and do, the way we act, the way we rebel, I'm thinking, God, why in the world would you let Jesus suffer for me? I can't. I I, I just marvel at a Savior like that. But you see, Jesus, knowing that, going in back into the region of Judea, knowing that his actions were about to spring and, and set in motion the whole thing that would put him on the cross. Jesus went because he chose you. Because his Father had chosen you before the creation of the world. And Jesus wasn't going to fail his Father. Let me let you in on a little secret. Jesus did all he did because he loves his Father. That's real love. And God let Jesus do all that he did because he loves you. Powerful, incredible love. So we're talking this whole series about God's choice. But what do we choose? I'm scared sometimes for some of our dear people. And I love you. You know I do. It scares me when some of us choose not to even believe. And some of us choose to say, you know what? I know God did all that, but I'm going to do what I want to do. That's a little scary to me. I don't know how in the judgment we ever can stand before God and God look at us and say, I did all this and you knew about it and, and you just chose to rebel. It's scary. But, you know, he loves you enough to let you choose. My question is, what do you choose? What will we choose today? I... I choose him. I love him. And I want him to have all that I can give. And I pray that that is your attitude today. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. I wonder if there's somebody here today who would indicate, you know what, I'm not right with God. I don't have a good relationship with God. I'm, if I were to die right now, I don't think I'd go to heaven. But you know what, I want to. And I want to I choose Christ. And today you want to indicate to me that you're making a choice for Jesus Christ. And if you would slip your hand in the air, just simply indicating, I'm choosing Christ today. I need him. I need his mercy and his forgiveness. I want you to know that uh, the Lord will see your hand and he will know your heart. 